just a second. I, but I don't hear anything. Okay. Hey, this is Rich Outfield. I... I figured uh, since I'm heading over to Biggs, and that usually takes a while, and I haven't done this in a while, that I might as well record a Rish Outcast. I had about an hour before I had to leave today uh, in which I felt like, well, I can, I can edit something, I can work on something, and, and I chose to edit the, uh, the Creature Feature episode, which has already aired. You, you know, you've already heard it. I worked on it for a while. Then when I went to save it, now granted, it's, it could be, have been much worse, this was about a third of the way through rather than at the end but when I went to save it it wouldn't let me save it because there was already a file called that and I, I thought what? so I opened that file and I had already edited the episode for Creature Feature I listened through I skipped toward the very very end and it, it had been edited all the way to the end back in like December or something. I, I don't know when it was. It was definitely 2014. And I just... Well, I mean, I didn't throw a fit or anything. I was just like, uh, time wasted. But the fact that I didn't realize I had already done it means that I say the same thing week after week after week on these things. Or month after month. I, I decided pretty much it's going to be a monthly show because that's not too heavy a cross for me to bear. And, and that's fine. Uh, so this is going to be another one of those episodes that's not got a story with it. And I I don't know how disappointing that is. Oh, one short little, little tiny thing. Uh, there were people that I don't know all that well that heard the last uh, podcast that Dares Not Speak Its Name episode, the one where I did the uh, audio essay, if you will, called Comedy is Hard. And I got a couple of comments, and I thought, well, who are these people? And how are they hearing this episode? And it turns out that Big had made that available for everybody on the Steve feed. And uh, nothing against Big. He's cool. He's just trying to get my work out there for everybody to read here. But the podcast that dares not speak its name, specifically that episode, it was not meant for everyone's ears. That was just you and me, my friends and me. You know, it was a much more intimate portrait than you usually hear on these shows, especially the Rish Outcast, which I try to make really user-friendly and very short and uh, non-threatening, if you will. I, I don't know if that's the word I'm looking for, but it doesn't matter. Um, as I've said, as I said in that episode, and as I've said many times in this episode, I start the thing recording while I'm driving, and I focus on my driving. So I tend to ramble a little bit. I tend to say, um, a lot. And because the sound quality is so bad, again, I feel like I've said this before too, but do you hear that sound? That sound of the engine saying, eh, why didn't you get my oil changed? 
because the sound is so bad, it makes it almost impossible to do edits seamlessly, which is amazing, but that's what it is. Oh, fudge, they're not going to let me in. All right, I missed my exit. Okay, I missed my exit. What happened was that there was a car, well, it's a truck, a big black truck in the lane to my right, which was the lane to get on the freeway. And he was right there alongside me, and I was signaling, and he wouldn't let me in. And just as the freeway entrance became inaccessible, he pulled into my lane. He zoomed ahead. I'm not going on the freeway. He zoomed ahead and uh, screwed me, basically, which is okay. Um, like I was saying before, I focus on my driving while I uh, record these things. And if I had been focusing on podcasting rather than driving, there may have been a little altercation right there. And I, I just did a U-turn and I'm going to get on the freeway. So I, it lost me like a minute and a half. No big whoop. But what I was saying before was the Rish Outcast is looser. The Rish Outcast is unstructured. The Rish Outcast is rambly. Um, if you want scripted material, well, uh, you know, you'll have to just fast forward to the story parts. And now, if, buddy, okay, if you want structure, then I think it's the podcast that dares not speak its name, which is a lot more work and I almost never do it. But that's where I sit and I perch myself in front of a, a microphone and that has my complete and undivided attention. This is my microphone, this is my time. And uh, I'm just not able to do those very often. I, and, and the only time I ever justify doing those is when I've got something to say, when I feel like, okay, this is more important. Uh, this, this is too important to record while I'm driving. I need to be able to focus and come up with exactly what I want to say. And I had never done an episode quite like that uh, comedy is hard. And I probably won't, although I liked it. Oh, I, I, it, I really enjoyed doing an essay like that. You know, it's like, my name is Rich Outfield and I will be talking about comedy today. But uh, yeah, this is not an episode where I've got a story. Uh, I have a couple of stories recorded and I'm just not able to get to editing them. It's much easier to edit this than uh, to, to edit a story, take out the mistakes, clean up the audio, put in music. I don't think that I do sound effects on my own stuff. Uh, thank goodness, or there would be no episodes at all. But it's easier to uh, edit me rambling than to uh, edit a story and put a story together. And so about every other episode in 2015 is going to have a story because uh, that's just the busyness of this year. Last year was different, and I, I think I managed almost every single episode having a story. But at the same time, I don't think I managed every month to put out an episode. I don't know. The thing is, I would like to podcast a lot more. Oh, gosh, somebody the other day said... Why don't you do a Patreon fundraiser so that you'll have a little bit of money and you'll find out that people really, really want to hear what you've got to say. And, oh, that was flattering. 
I'm not going to say that it was tempting, because it wasn't. But it was flattering that somebody would say that. You know, if you do a Patreon, you could uh, get a little bit of money. Uh, Bob Chipman, the guy that was Movie Bob over on the Escapist magazine, he did a Patreon. He uh, either quit or was fired from Escapist. And he got on there and he said, you know, I have a vision of a show I would like to do. And it's unlike any show that you've seen before. And this is what it's like. And I thought, oh, I could get behind that in a minute. He had something, and he even said in his intro, this is something that nobody else really does. Uh, it's uh, because it's so much easier to do what, what works on the internet, which is to spew vitriol and bile and hate. Um, and I admit, that stuff is entertaining as heck, man. It really, really is. But... Uh, I thought about that when the guy sent me the email about the uh, Patreon thing. What would I have to offer that you can't already find? And for free? And the answer is nothing. It would be more of this. It would be just more episodes of the Rich Outcast. More podcasts that dare not speak their names. Uh, I've got a uh, a, a hundred-year-old story that I recorded probably in 2013 for the uh, podcast. I've got a Stephen King story that's been out of print for 30 years that I recorded for Marsha Latham that would be a podcast that dares not speak its name. And I'd like to be able to put them out. It sounds like I'm trying to convince myself to do a Patreon and say this, <clears throat> but I'm not. Uh, the other day, I, Big and I ran into a writer who's fairly well known. He's, he's been on the New York Times bestseller list, you know, he's had hit hit books, he's had hit records, hit movies, whatever you want to say, um, and uh, I just, I wanted to know about how to be a writer and what he suggested and all this stuff, and Big surprised me, he wanted to know those things too, but what he really wanted was this guy to give us a story for the Dune Steve, and that hadn't even occurred to me, that's how out of it I am with the Dune Steve, and so the next time I saw that writer... I reminded him that he said he would get us a story, and he didn't, and I, I sort of bothered him about it, and then he sent us one yesterday or the day before, and I looked at it, and I thought, I should volunteer to produce this. I should put it all together and get people to voice parts and do it. But I know myself. I know that I've got just so much stuff going on. Heck, the last episode of the Dune Steve that has aired when I'm recording this was produced by me. So it's not technically my turn. But mostly it was just, I, dude, I've got so much on my plate. Um, I got an email from... Christine Catherine Rush's publisher today, um, I had done a contract for three books um, in the first couple, three, four months of uh, 2015, and uh, I got two of them done, which is a miracle, guys, that I got two of them done, and it's only early 2015 when I'm recording this. She was asking, hey, uh, I'm looking forward to the third one, how's it coming? And I hadn't even started on it. And 
you know, to do the Doonstief story would mean, okay, I'm going to take, let's just say it was a week. I'm going to take a week away from that book where there's a dollar sign and a contract and a deadline and, uh, and do something else that's not for any money. I mean, yeah, it's fun. I like to do the Doonstief and I know you guys like the Doonstief. But um, I can do an audiobook by myself. I can't do the Doonstief by myself. It's so much more work. And so I don't know that I'm going to be able to produce that story. Uh, maybe a month from now or five months from now or whatever. But anyway, uh, this is just me making excuses, isn't it? I don't know how many people listen to the uh, the Rish Outcast. Part of me doesn't want to know because if it's only four, then I then there will be voices in the back of my mind that say, "Why are you even doing this? Only four people. You could call four people and just have the same conversation four times, and you wouldn't have to edit it." But if there are a lot of people and you guys would really like me to uh, do more of them, let me know. Or if one of you guys has experience with Patreon and thinks that I could do it or should do it, I guess I could try. Uh, One last pathetic little story and then I'll go on my way. Uh, When I was in Los Angeles, uh, I worked at this big office and and it felt like a close-knit bunch of people. And whenever it was somebody's birthday, people would go out to a bar or they would go out to a club or they would go out to a bar or, or a restaurant and celebrate that person's birthday. And I had gone several times and I I enjoyed it. I thought that that was neat. And my birthday was coming up. And so I said, okay, well, we'll do something for my birthday. And I told people where we were meeting and and when and what time. And yeah, you did I did you beat me to the punch? Nobody came to it at all. We, We ended up not having I ended up ha- not having a uh, a birthday celebration at all, and uh, you know I was able to say, oh, it, uh, the directions were bad, or oh, it was a you know it's a Saturday night, or whatever. But it bothered me, and uh, so so I guess that's part of me saying I don't know that I want to do a Patreon fundraiser thing. This is easy to do, relatively easy to do, what I'm doing right now, and there's no pressure. If you guys want to put on some pressure, that'd be cool. I appreciate pressure in that way. But, you know what I mean? I'm only answering to myself. And so, uh, we do the uh, the Rish Outcast when I feel like it, when I'm able to, and yes, I would like to do more, but it's just, uh, you know, it's a, a treat. It's, a, it's, a, it's self-indulgent t- me time <laughs> when, I, uh, when I get one of these done or I get time dedicated to one of these things. And so um, I'm going to share a little thing with you that I recorded last year. And... Uh, Then I'll let you go on my way, and I think next episode I will have a story. So take care, guys.
I used to listen to a lot of talk radio in Los Angeles. They had a really wonderful all-talk-all-the-time station that's probably hip-hop or something now. But while I was there, it, it was a... Uh, I suppose it was a window into, you know, what people were talking about, what was interesting in the world. You know, also for a lonely person, it works as a conduit, you know, as a, as a, uh, as a placebo, as a faux circle of friends. Um, I think talk radio at its best is that, is, is tricking the listener into feeling that they have a connection with the people on the radio that they're catching up with old friends whenever they turn on the show. You know, that's probably kind of sad. But at the same time, it's understandable. We all have a need, almost all of us have a need to connect with other people. And there were a couple of those uh, radio personalities. You could tell they just loved to hear themselves talk. They loved the sound of their own voice. They loved to talk and they could yammer on for hours. You know, that's both good and bad. There was one guy who had ridiculously high ratings, and he would boast about it. And the guy was the biggest jag-off. And, and sometimes I would listen because the stuff he'd say was incendiary. It, was, it would get you either angry uh, at him or angry at whatever he was angry at. There are certain people that it's probably not good to give a microphone to. And... Uh, here I am, just yammering on with really no uh, agenda. I'm just on a drive, and it's funny. How I mean, I haven't even been doing this show for a year, have I? And yet, now I think, well, I could record something while I'm driving, and that way I don't waste my time. Which is just weird. But oh well, you know, that's what it is. I guess I'm kind of like that person too, you know? I, I like to hear myself talk. I'm also one of those people that thinks better out loud than, than in his head. And, you know, I need to grow a thicker skin and uh, not care if somebody disagrees with me or not care if somebody says, why would I listen to that guy's thoughts or that guy's stories or that guy's ideas or that guy's voices. I'm uh, getting up there in years. I was talking to somebody recently who was saying that they had they weren't going to live long enough to tell all the stories that they had in their head right now. And, yeah, I don't know that that's a good realization to have. To know that you're not going to get to tell all your stories because then don't you become more selective about, oh, shoot, well, I wonder if this story is worth taking up one of those few spots that I've got. It's hard to know. But, you know, I'll get various ideas for stories. And a lot of them don't end up going anywhere. But some of them I end up starting and then abandoning. And very few of them I end up starting and I get all the way to the end. And sometimes it's difficult to know if an idea is worth going on and on about. I, I came up with a story years ago, like around 2007, 2008, that I just held on to. And uh, I wanted to write it. I wanted to finish it. I mean, I had jotted down the idea and I had started the actual story proper. I think I'd started it more than once, but I'd never actually reached the end and 
I, I recently got to the end all these years later and as I was reading it through I started to suspect that it wasn't very good and that's no fun to know that something's been in your head for a long long time and it's not all that great but maybe there are these maybe these are things that you can't know you can't know till you do it the other day I was talking to Big about when they were doing all of those um, shoot I don't even know what you'd call them it was, they, they were mashup, genre mashup things like uh, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, that sort of stuff. Anna, uh, Android Karenina. You know, these things where they would take a classic text that was in the public domain and they would add some fantastic element to it. For a very short while, this was the literary soup du jour and it didn't last long. But I'm sure that there were at least 10, maybe infinite, number of books that were put out to cash in on that craze. I was thinking about one one time during a drive, and I really liked the idea. So I got this machine out, and I started to record, and I sort of pitched it to myself. Uh, and then later, you know, I transferred that onto my hard drive, and there it still sits. I don't think I ever edited it. I don't think I ever listened to it again. Would it have made a good story? I don't know. But when I was talking to Big about these mashup things, I thought, The Diary of Anne Frankenstein. And I came up with all these twisted ideas of Anne Frank um, creating life while in hiding from the Nazis, creating some kind of golem-type creature that she had built herself and brought to life to defend, you know, the the people in Poland, to defend the people in Austria, to defend, you know, the, the little people. And almost as soon as I said it, I, I thought, oh, you know, it's just a joke. It's really not a story. But somebody might be able to do something good with that idea. And, and you know what? It might be in bad taste, because unlike a lot of these characters, unlike Elizabeth Bennet or somebody in Wuthering Heights or... Uh, you know, Dr. Jekyll or something like that. There was an Anne Frank. And we know her because she died. And so, you know, it's probably in poor taste to turn her into Anne Frankenstein. But, see, that's something that I wish I could sit down with somebody who was a real writer. And by real writer, I mean somebody who made their living writing and ask them what about that. And, of course, you would get a hundred different answers because every single writer is a different entity. You don't just do it the same way that other people do. Woodworking or plumbing or accountancy or... And I'll bet even accountants do it differently. There's not a single missionary position among accountants, I've heard. To be an artist, I think you have to believe in yourself. You have to believe that what you're trying to create is worth doing. And that's arrogance. And for some reason, I've built that up. I built arrogance up as the worst quality a person can have. Pride. Pride cometh before the fall. Pride. All is vanity. I know that part of that is my upbringing. And that's a shame. I don't know how different I would be if I had 
been raised with different philosophies or different attitudes or different in a different locale or, or whatever it is. But hey, you know, what if people had praised Hitler's painting? I mean, these are questions that have been asked a billion times, and maybe every single person asks these same questions. The point of the Rish Outcast was partly just to, to copy what Big did with his uh, ankle cast. But if you hear it, and Big's next to each other, the only thing in common is that we're both recording while we're in the car. I feel guilty when I just sit down and ramble and there's no story to present. And as far as I know, Big has only ever done one story on the ankle cast, and it's because I made him do it. Maybe he made me... No, sorry. I've confused myself. The truth is that there are people that are more talented than me out there. Uh, You can throw a rock and you'll hit one of them. But at the very same time, there are people that are less talented than me. And you can throw a rock and hit them as well. It's probably impolite to throw rocks. There are some extremely untalented successes out there. And some of it is nepotism. Some of it is just they happen to be at the right place at the right time. Some of it was a, uh, a need, a, a vacancy in the market. Somebody needed what they happened to be doing. Even if they didn't do it well, it filled a niche. Some was just luck, I guess. Some of it was Satan, I'm sure. Going, yes, yes. And, you know, I'm not going to name names because, I don't know, a guy once told me that he had read a book by a very famous author, and he'd read it, and and when he put it down, he said, you know, my friend could write a better book than this, and he told me about that, and I was that friend, and it was a very encouraging, kind thing to say, and I still think about it from time to time, not a lot, but sometimes I'll see that guy's books on shelves, and uh, I remember him saying that, and, and I actually did read one of his books not long ago, and I have to admit that in the back of my mind, I kept wondering, well, well, he did this, he wrote this, and there was this turn of phrase or this, you know, description or whatever. Could I have done better than that? I didn't know. When I ran Birth of a Sidekick in those four parts, which wasn't long ago, I, in the back of my mind, I thought, why am I doing this if I want people to buy it? And, you know, it's a totally valid question. You want somebody to buy your work and yet you're going to give it away for free. But I think what I wanted more than money was people to say, oh, this is really, really good. And encourage me to do more. Because then, you know what, I can release something, print, and then do a podcast of it later. Like, uh, did you read, I'm sorry, did you hear the episode where I did The Key Collector? Not a great story, but the night that I recorded Key Collector, you know, my, my reading of it, I was, you know, going through the text and making little changes. I, I don't know if there were any changes, honestly, because when I looked, it was like a, a thousand twenty words, but the contest, it had to be a thousand words or less. So it's very possible you know, that I, I made almost no changes at all. What was I going to say? 
anyway, I thought, you know, I've, I've gone through here, I've, gone in, I've effectively done another draft. Why don't I put this out there in print? And, uh, you know, maybe I can sell a couple of copies. But then I saw it was only a thousand words and I just, I, I, I couldn't justify selling a thousand word story. I still can't. It's not, it's not enough, right? I mean, even if I sold it for 50 cents, I don't know. But I felt like it was worth sharing on the Rich Outcast, right? You listened to that episode. I want to get it in my head. I want to believe what Dean Wesley Smith says. Uh, Dean Wesley Smith uh, does all of these blog posts about publishing, about self-publishing, about selling your work, about motivating yourself to write. And I know that his messages really speak to Big because Big will always tell them to me. And one of Dean Wesley Smith's adages is, publish everything. You write a short story, you don't think it's good, publish it and move on to the next one. And I'm trying to remember what he, what Big said that he said, that you had to have 50 or maybe it was even 100, but I think it was 50 pieces in your library that people can buy. And then the money is going to start to come in because you only have to sell one copy of each of those or whatever, or I, I, don't, I don't remember the math thing. But he's like, the more stuff that you have out there, the better chance you have of making some money from your, your writing. Because it's not like you're putting all of your hopes and dreams on one piece that you wrote, and then you rewrite, and then you repackage, and then you get a new cover, and then you redo the ending. And I, I understand, that speaks to me. I, I, I hear what he's saying. I'm one of those guys who could just massage a piece forever and say, okay, you know, it's almost ready. It's almost ready to go. It's not quite done yet. I think one more draft, okay, uh, that draft went well, but it's still not quite there. And I think his advice was just put it out there. Forget about it. Don't keep trying to massage. What you should do is work on your skill set, work on your art, work on your craft. Just get better by doing more. And... I think he's right. Um, I mean, I don't agree with him completely. I, if I heard that there were typos in some in a, an ebook that I had put out, I, I would just want to get into that and fix those typos and then put it up there again, replacing the old one as fast as I could. Because, in my mind, and f you if you disagree with me in this one. I mean, here's one where I'm not going to buck at all. But if you can't learn the difference between they are and there, like over there, then why should I read your work? You don't have enough of a grasp on the English language. You don't have enough of respect for the language that I speak and love to proofread your stuff, to ferret out all the mistakes, to at least get it there so that it's legible English, then your stuff is not worth my time. It isn't. Because you basically said it wasn't worth your time to proofread it. It wasn't worth your time to at least give it to somebody to edit who actually speaks English as a first or second language. I, I feel passionate about that because, wow, I, boy, this is going to be a long episode. I don't mean for it to be. But I read an interview with this guy who is a self-published author who makes a lot of money, uh, at least from the interview. Um, and I've seen his stuff a lot. Back when I first started doing audiobooks, and you can go through and try and find auditions and do 
those, you know, it's like, oh, I'll audition for this, this piece sounds interesting, or whatever it is. He had just tons, his name came up again and again and again. I was like, wow, this guy is so prolific. And so I got a couple of his pieces thinking, well, okay, I'll audition because I like the title or, or whatever, I like the cover art or whatever it might be. And it was just so riddled, not just, oh, there was a mistake here on the first page, which is a bad sign, but mistake in the first paragraph and then the second paragraph and then two in the third paragraph where I was just like, wow, never mind, guys, I'm sorry. You know, that kid in Deliverance might have been able to play a mean banjo, but, uh, you know, I don't want to read his master's thesis, okay? And that's... And so I put down this guy's stuff, never picked it up again, and I never will. And in this interview, he talked about people like me as being snobs. You know, it's like the average person doesn't care if you spelled it right or if you've got perfect syntax. And of course, he didn't use the word syntax because you'd have to have had an English class to know what that is. He says the average person doesn't care about any of that stuff. They just care if it's a good story. But look, kids, he was basically just regurgitating urban legends that we've all heard a bunch of times that had been told by somebody like Daniel Cohen who actually could write or was told by Stephen King and Dance Macabre or whatever, somebody who could actually write. He's wrong. We're not looking for a good story. We're looking for a story that's well told. Yeah, a good story, but it's, it's not just the tale. It is also the teller. It is the way the story is told. And, you know, there are things that I've written, and I'm sure that in the hands of somebody more talented than me, they would have been excellent pieces. But, uh, you know, it's the, the Spanish... There's that old Spanish proverb, I think it was from the 1400s, Aun Spielberg hizo hook. They're words that I live by. And I enjoy doing this podcasting thing. I enjoy doing the audiobooks. Um, I'm not the best that there is, but I can work hard to be the best me that I can be. I mean, I have a couple of abilities that your average bear doesn't have. And so, you know, if I could hone those to razor sharpness or whatever, then, you know, that gives me a fighting chance at least. Especially if we're going against people who are better equipped, people who have more years of experience, people who have vocal training, professional vocal training, people who have actually been to another country I got to compete with them, but it's probably more important to compete with myself. To say, hey, look, here's where I've set the bar with whatever it is. I know that people liked Birth of a Sidekick. I'm glad that they did. And so, you know, I can take that and say, okay, what was it about that story that people responded to? And let me see if I can focus on that on the next story that I write. Focus on those things that people dug I, I like Birth of a Sidekick all right, but while I was editing it to release on Audible, there were a couple stretches where I thought, you know what, this isn't good at all. It has a great start, uh, and then it takes that left turn, and, and you know, what is all this crap with the general store, and, and you know, it just, it, I, I don't think it's the best thing I've written. And so, what I gotta do is somehow figure out the middle ground, you know, of pleasing 
the people that listen to my stuff and pleasing me. So I've been talking for a long time. I know that. And uh, I, sh- I will turn this off and let you go your way. But these are interesting times. When I can just record something. And if I wanted to, like completely unedited, I could put it out tonight. You could hear tonight what I recorded tonight. Strangers could. People in far off lands. People in places where it's still yesterday. Wait, that doesn't work. You know what I'm saying though. It's a miracle, this era that we live. We live in an age of miracles, as they said at the end of Captain America too. And uh, I think that's an exciting time to live. So, you know, I've got to take advantage of this age of miracles and and do what I can to, uh, you know, to grab at least a little piece of the pie, whether it's in recognition or whether it's money. There are always things that I can do better, and that is one of them. So uh, I will leave you. I will go on my merry way and let you go on yours. Hopefully it's merry. And uh, you take care. The Rish Outcast is presented under a Creative Commons attribution, no derivatives license. That license enables you to share the file with anyone, but not to charge for it or alter it. This has been Reshopfield. He is very angry. I'm not really.